Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good stuff. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, we're trying this live from three different locations over the internet. Unusual. The last time we did this, Ireland had just beaten New Zealand in a test series in down under. This time we're uh, still licking our wounds, I think, a little bit, but ready for uh, New Zealand versus South Africa final to the World Cup. So let's start with who got there first. Argentina versus New Zealand. Uh, not really much of an event that game not really worthy of a world cup semi-final but it was a world cup semi-final uh you were impressed by the ruthlessness of uh the all blacks i i was well i was impressed yeah i was impressed by the ruthlessness of the all blacks i was impressed by uh how well they were coached uh as as the most important thing so you had Michael Checa, who was the, the first Leinster coach to win a European Cup. And beside him, you had his out half for a lot of that campaign, Felipe Camtaponi, and then who subsequently became a coach of Leinster. And then opposing them, you had Joe Schmidt, who, whose career was sandwiched by Checa and Felipe Camtaponi. And while, you know, New Zealand have better players than Argentina, I think had Joe Schmidt been coaching Argentina, they would have got a lot closer to the All Blacks. I thought that the Kiwis' tackling in particular was very good. I thought their defence was good in terms of they were very patient. They didn't overcommit. They gave very few entrances to the to the, to the the Argentinians. I think that both teams who are in the final are, are very disciplined. Um, they leave quite a, you know quite little to the referee I'd say um, I thought that and then I thought the footwork of the Kiwis was very impressive like the all they all threw in sidesteps with the exception really of the front row but like Scott Barrett threw in a lot of sidesteps um, as he sort of dived over the the gain line uh, Tele and Will Jordan in particular Tele in particular uh, was very light in his feet but um Proved a different sort of conundrum for the for the Pumas to solve as he carried very close in. So again, like very Joe Schmidt sort of performance. A lot of one out runners, except that they varied up. They varied who was going to be the one out runners. Very practiced and studied about how quickly their feet moved. That they didn't give the the Pumas, you know, an easy target to hit. It wasn't just a matter of of ramming it up in close and like you know put the head down and and you know, CJ Stander truck it up. It was a lot of footwork, a lot of evasiveness, um, very conservative game plan. Um but, you know, well, well coached breakdown work. And as always, 
is there a worse team to let in behind you than the Kiwis? Like once they get in behind that advantage line, they've got pace, they've got handling, they've got good running lines, and they were worthy of the win. So again, I was really happy to see see Joe's fingerprints all over. Yeah, and on the other hand, I was looking at that and I just thought like, my word, the Argentinian defense is crap. It's absolutely appalling for a semi-final. Uh, they should be embarrassed. Uh, Argentina, I think, were everyone's sort of favorite team in that uh, semi-final setup, and a lot of people wanted them to do well. They were embarrassingly bad. Falling off that many tackles is disgraceful. And despite the fact that we all, certainly in, in this podcast, we have fond memories of Czech and, and Felipe, both of them equally fondly, Argentines didn't belong in that semi-final. They were blown out of it. Embarrassment to Argentine rugby, in my opinion. Real embarrassment. Uh, it made a mockery of Toro Cup. Like, I'm, I'm not holding my punches. Jesus, like, this is a semi-final. You can't fall off tackles. You have to claw. And the Argentines are incredibly disappointing. A real non-event of a semi-final, in my opinion. Did you expect any differently, though? Yes. I expected Argentina to absolutely die in the field. They didn't deserve to be in there in the first place. They'd had a relatively easy, not relatively easy, they'd had a complete walk through the park. They should have had loads of energy. And I expected them to tackle like absolute madmen. I expected them to hold on to everything, to stop everything. And they were pathetic. That's what it is. Like, despite the fact that Argentina are, you know, as I say, you know, they're an industrious uh, and well-regarded team. They were appalling. They didn't belong in that semi-final. And it's funny somebody said so. It's a joke. I have a question for you, Andy, about um, how you've seen the imprint of Schmidt on that team like in, in increase since the start of the tournament or increase even since he took over. Because uh, it feels like the All Blacks were still quite disjointed against France in that first game six or seven weeks ago now. Yeah, I was I was quite surprised by um, what happened in the second half of that match, given how they'd started um, in the first half. I, I expected us to. I expected them. <laughs> excuse me to kick on in the second half, and. I wasn't sure if it was opening night nerves because um, that was the second week in a row. Like they've been hammered the previous week by um, by South Africa in London. Um, so I don't think you can. I I mean, look, I couldn't attribute miracle worker status to to Joe and really. I think that the the, the fixtures have gone well for the Kiwis in this World Cup. Um, they were able to open up against France and then like had a relatively easy run. Like the Italians absolutely capitulated against them. Um, you know, the rest of the group, Namibia and, and Uruguay, uh, the quarter final was was a huge amount, you know, it was a huge win for them. They were very happy to win it. Um, they prepared very well for it. You know, I think they recognized the fact that they could have gone out given that they held the ball up over the line. Um, and then they went to play Argentina in the semi-final. So you have a team that is relatively fresh, you'd have to think, um, 
going into the final. And I guess we'll talk about South Africa in a little bit, but they're in a they're in a very different physical space than South Africa. So you know, even though they're coming from the hard side of the draw, um finishing second kind of seems to have worked out for them in their pool. Yeah. It's very interesting that everyone in the tournament um lost a game at some point. Uh obviously England were the last to lose, but uh like the Kiwis lost first up, the box lost in the group, and the two second place teams are in the final. I'm sure that's never happened before. <laughs> oh, you'll have to answer that one yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, it hasn't. Uh, it hasn't it happened hasn't, before. It hasn't, hasn't happened before. Um, yeah, so I agree with Andy that the Kiwis have taken advantage of the draw. I'm sure they went there to win the first game. But since then, Italy were disgraceful against them. I'm using the word disgraceful because I mean it. Like, getting beaten, nobody's put 90 points on Italy in about 20 years. And having that happen in a World Cup is disgraceful to you as a rugby nation. It's an absolute stain on your character. Um. And they had an incredibly tough match against us, Ireland, in the quarterfinal, which they came out worthy winners. Like that game, I was talking to a couple of other people who were at it, and they were saying like they couldn't get over how clinical, how miserly, how brutal and efficient the All Blacks were. One of their best performances, their best performance under Ian Foster. Um, and then to go in and have the Argentines literally fold in a semi-final. <laughs> It's like it's fantastic for New Zealand. Uh, for the World Cup as a tournament, it's uh, it highlights the you know what Irish fans would say, especially committed Irish fans would say that the draw has been shambolic in that you have a much tougher game, a quarterfinal stage, and you have a semi-final stage, a bad look in any competition. But in this one, to go from you know, one of the all-time quarterfinals to literally the biggest walkover in any in any semi-final of all time in the Rugby World Cup history. Well, in the all-time, you go back to Wales in '87 for the All Blacks. Um, it's it highlights that this is a significantly flawed tournament, which has excluded some of the best teams in it for the sake of convenience. Just a dreadful read for the tournament. Like you may as well, as I said in the last podcast, you had the number one and the number two team uh, in in the, essentially in the four years since the last World Cup drawn in the same pool. What a farce! So I I feel Argentina deserve more brickbats than are, are thrown at them. You know, they're a uh, a characterful team led by a characterful coach and an assistant coach. They were dreadful. And that's all they deserve is a, a concrete and uh, appropriate uh, condemnation of their display, which was crap. They were shit. There's not a huge amount more to say about that game. Like, it really was. I think I think to sum it up, you would say, if he got that score in a quarterfinal, he'd still be pretty annoyed. Like, it should... Yeah, I should not agree with you more. There, there shouldn't a a walk in the park that was a that was a pool game versus the third worst team in your pool you know a, a good pool victory over a team that maybe 
20% of people thought could compete with you. That's what that sort of game was. It was like Ireland beating Italy 36-6 in 2011. Okay, well, let's um, move on to the much more dramatic second semi-final. And uh, for the second week in a row, the South Africans have gotten through by one point and uh, the place-kicking the place siege gun boot of Andre Pollard playing a vital role in uh, in their qualifying through the round. I have to say, I did not see this game being as close as it was in the end at all. No, and, and I'll just step in here. I was saying to uh, two English friends, I was corresponding with two great rugby men, and I was saying, as it came closer to the event, I was saying the matchups look okay for me for England. I think this is they have more than a puncher's chance, and it's a one-off game. So you have a team in England with buckets of World Cup experience. People, a lot of players who had been to the final, and I was saying that the way that South Africa played against Wales in the last semi-final, which you were at, mm-hmm. one of the worst games of rugby ever played. I'm saying the South Africans. I don't see them playing. I don't see them playing a bravura balls out type of game. They're going to try and slow it down, and it's not going to play into their hands. They don't have that team anymore. They needed to play balls out. And it seemed to me that, like, I read a read an interview with Johnny May where he's saying, like, he's like Alan Turing. He fucking reads the decimal points. And he's going, that ain't it, buddy. He plays the same game in every game. And the South Africans actually played into his hands. Andy, I'd be interested to hear what you thought of that. Um, I, I, I thought it was very much a match dictated by the weather. I, um, had, had, was watching the weather forecast and I the New Zealand Argentina match I went under in the points spread and I was like, I don't think it'll get to 48 and a half. It's going to be slippy and wet, which is you know, and, and raining all the way through. So then when I turned on to see that it wasn't raining, I was like, all right, uh with New Zealand in it, like who are gonna go all the way out for a try all the way to the end. Um now they still only made the points, total points by by two and that. So I kind of chickened away from it the following night and didn't really trust the weather forecast. But again, when I switched on and saw that it was absolutely tipping rain, I thought to myself, oh, like this can only be good for England. Like England are only going to play in one way. They're going to kick it up in the air and they're going to chase after it very hard. If they get a start, then, you know, they'll, they'll play with their chest out. They have something to defend. So I think, I think everything went their way. Like I, I think that. South Africa, um, if they could have got the ball into the hands of of Arenze and of uh, Colby, I, I think would have caused the English a few problems. And and then with Willie Larue to come off the bench uh, again, I, you know, I think I think that would have played more to their strengths again later on in the match. But it never went that way because it was it was only going to be kicked up the air. So I, I thought it was a match that very much suited England's strengths. And I was kind of thinking to myself, God, like, you know, if, it, if it's dry next week, the All Blacks are going to hammer England. So, I, you know, I thought I thought England did well. But then I also sort of thought that like, a bit like their football team sometimes does, I thought they sat in their lead a bit. And sort of lack of ambition that they have and what it 
they didn't score very many points in the second half. Like they needed to attack. Mm. And while they were belligerent and while they were kind of busted, I didn't think that um I didn't think they showed enough attacking Brio. But I, I don't think they showed enough attacking Brio all the way throughout this World Cup. Like they never showed any real attacking ambition. You know, they, and they, they, get a, they don't have they don't have Brio. It's not no, in I, it's not in the Arsenal. It's not in the Borthwick game plan, you know. So they 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 didn't score a try against Argentina. They got up against Japan and then they scored four late tries. They struggled against Samoa. Like, I think everything went for them in in the match against South Africa. I thought I thought they played well for the team that they had, but like the weather worked for them. I thought the the selection of Libok, given what the weather conditions was going to be like, was um, misjudged. But then. You know, you you see the ruthlessness and the the savvy of of um of Erasmus again, like just just making that call in half an hour after Livock had made two bad mistakes kicking that he just went, no, nah, you don't need this. Like it's I got to call it that I was wrong, and and off he comes. Like what, you know? Half Can an I hour just ask gone. you about that? That's just much. to go in go in a little bit deeper on that because. That's a GAA type substitution. Flipping off a guy before halftime. Not something you see very much in rugby at all. Like I can recall Eddie Jones doing it. But uh Razzi in a World Cup semi final. Like how much does that speak of like to me that speaks of two things. It speaks of being a bad selector in the first place, but then recognizing that in the second place. And how how do you see that? Uh, yeah, I, I probably, I don't know if I'd say bad selection. Yeah, probably didn't make the call for the weather um, that was coming and maybe felt that he had to back his man. So I think I think he made the wrong selection. I don't know if it makes him a bad selector. Um, but then the ruthlessness to, to make the call and to just not wait around. Um, and it was hardly unique, you know. I mean, he, he played with Bongi. For 80 minutes, Bongi got his, his leg strapped in the last 10 minutes and, and looked like he'd done something to a hamstring, but made the decision to stick with him. He took up Ivan Etzebeth, um, who, to my mind, had been the South African player at a tournament to this point. And then, you, you, you know, you'd have to say that all the rest of his selections uh, went his way, but they'd be the big two, like Pollard going on, Etzebeth going off. Um, two really significant players for the for the box. It was it it was an incredible gut selection. Like I'm sure they have a lot of science that tells them, you know, how fresh their players are, um, what the difference is between their peak performance and their current performance, depending on how far they go. But I, I'd have to look at the Libox selection. Felt that was it was just pure gut by Razi. It was just a guy who knows what it's like to chase a match, who knows like if the gap widens in those sort of conditions, it's harder to, to come back from, who knows that the morale of his pack is going to be affected by yeah. having an out-half who doesn't put the ball in front of his pack in, in those conditions. And just said, like, we have to get Andre Pollard on. So he, and, and it was completely right. It was completely justified. Like, if anything, I thought that the line kick that Pollard put in, in the build-up Burr. to the um, Snyman right was yeah. was the difference in the game. You know, like he absolutely 
nailed it. Now, like his place kick to win it was obviously a great kick as well. But I thought that he derived a lot of confidence from the line kick, uh, which was almost flawless. Like he was, he was playing, he was playing towards the sort of his the harder touchline for him to hit as a right footed kicker in slippy conditions and you know like he might have got it to the five meter line if you're, if you're talking absolutes but i mean he he really could hardly have hit it better and correct no, like a 99 percent kick like he got almost everything out of that and my question following on from my earlier question is like who does he select at number 10 for the final is it pollard i think you have oh. to pick pollard and I think you have to look at playing Pollard for, you know, the possibility of playing him for 80 minutes. Or I was, you know, if you're I was just going to say, I think he'll start Libok again uh, because I think he wants Pollard to definitely be on the pitch in the close game. And I think it's really the biggest case ever of thinking of your sub as a finisher. And Pollard has not played a full game of rugby since the start of the World Cup. He played 40 minutes for Leicester, got called in for the end of the pool stage and played against, did he play, didn't play a full game against Tonga, did he? Like he's, 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 I think he'll want him on the pitch at the end of the game. And I think he won't start him for that reason. Yeah, I can see that happening. Definitely. I think with, with any game where, you know, it's going to be tight. My feeling is that you have the experience late in the game so you have experience 21 22 23 and so i think he might go with libok again with the all blacks i think i think the final might be far more open than the semi-final as was the final in 2019 not far more open it was more open than their game against wales in the semi-final which was literally uh, an abortion one of the worst rugby games you've ever been at ian the worst rugby game I've ever seen at an international level. Um, so I think that Libok might start again. I don't think he's going to cause enough harm to the South African chances against New Zealand uh, to be of any use off the bench, if you know what I, I mean. I also think that the danger would be is if you if he hadn't picked Libok and he's maybe potentially damaged his confidence after by taking him off after 30 minutes, and then he's re- relying on him at the end of a tight game to kick goals. That's... He won't kick a goal. Yeah, so I, I would say, like, I would feel like he probably will start Libok and uh, and he might see Pollard 45 minutes. I, I expect him to start Pollard and for Pollard to play as much of that match as possible. There's no you think you go the full 80? I think until he's cropped, I think he'll play. Okay. And then what about nine? Um, I, I expect he'll play Faf. I, 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 I mean, look, Faf de Klerk has been a great addition to South Africa off the bench the last two weekends. Mm-hmm. But I think, he'll, I think he'll start him in this one. Okay. Non, what do you think? It's such a tough call. I think Ryan X, you know, probably a more uh, rounded player, um, or kind of a more a more regular nine than Libok is a regular ten in that sense. I understand. That yeah, wouldn't have any fear about 
bringing him off the bench uh, towards the end of a game, uh, notwithstanding how good Fafter Clerk has been at the at like at the close of both games. Perhaps I am overstating the necessity to have a finisher on the bench, like the age-old theory of having your best players on the team at the start probably shouldn't be thrown out with the bathwater at this stage just yet, specifically not for a World Cup final. Um, but that's what he's he's done in the last couple of games. Yeah. Like his best players have been on the pitch at the end. Now he's manipulated that, you know, whether through fair means or foul with uh, HIAs and with his own subs that he has had his most experienced players on the pitch at the end. So where does that leave Bongi and Banambi? Now, obviously, there's a big furor. Uh, I've seen a video from uh, of Ben Ben O'Keefe and, and Tom Curry, and we won't go into the actual words discussed, but it's. I don't think there's going to be anything that incriminates Bongi and Benambi, but it's a terrible look for South Africa. But England, England have to. Uh, England had, would have to have brought that. You know, to the attention of I think World Rugby within a certain period after the match, and they didn't. So, and I think, look, I, I don't think anybody thinks Bombies as pure as the Bombies as pure as, as the driven snow. I'd be more concerned from South Africa's point of view that he finished the match getting his his leg strapped, and he had to go eighty minutes, and he'll pretty much be expected to go eighty minutes again. Like, I you expect him to go eighty minutes again. I don't think he'll make any minutes, but I think Razi will want him to go as much as long as he can. Yeah. Ian, what do you think? Uh, I don't think they'll ban him. I think they might just say, um, because I think World Rugby were uh, kind of said, oh, we're looking into that as well. And I think whatever they'll do to him, they'll do after the World Cup. Um, I think Bongi will probably try, they try and play him as long as possible again. I think, I said I said after the the quarterfinal against France that he was almost the the way they got the extra forward on the bench because they brought on uh Furry uh as a flanker first and then moved him into hooker when they yeah. eventually took so it was like they just made Bongi kind of do two jobs on the on the day and and still got to freshen up their pack really early. Um I wouldn't be surprised if they if they do that again and just try and get another like seventy minutes out of them in the final. I think that the way they have, I mean, I, I'm I don't know why I'm talking about it so much, but I think it is very interesting. He used the bench so early against France that like he had no subs left per se. I think by mm-hmm. by seventy, which is um, he was such a, such a brutal game, such a physical game. And then you saw at the end that the French, you know, had less in the tank left, even though they brought on their subs later on. The I don't know, maybe the the the, the particularly the forwards that came on for South Africa had got warmed up and more attuned to it and had made more of an impact in the time they were on than the guys who just got to come on for for fifteen or ten for France at the end of it. I think it's really interesting because the I think the 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 two subs that uh, South Africa can bring on in the front row. Um, Kosh and and Che, presuming it's them, um, are much better than the subs that the Kiwis can bring on in the front row. Yeah, I agree on that one one hundred percent. And the fellow who surprised me is Dion Ferry, who is uh, like a thirty six slash thirty seven year old open side, 
who's done an amazing job. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what, what the exact phrase, moonlighting, I suppose, as a sub poker in, in World Cup knockout games. Um, when Ireland played him, he came off the bench for Bongi and he had a bad throw in in a very promising attacking position for South Africa. And it seemed to, it seemed the overall view in that, Ireland and South Africa, the two interested teams are going, this didn't work out. This isn't, hasn't been a good selection for, for South Africa. We should have bought in Ndweebo or somebody, well, Ndweebo. And, but Faree's performances in the last two games have been really strong. It seems he seems to have, despite the fact that South Africa have this really strong set piece orientation and reputation and history, that he's been able to uh, impact the game in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect a, a technical hooker to impact the game. So that one to me has been, it's been proof that Razzie is a, like a, a true a riverboat gambler and a breath the Brett Favre style, a gunslinger, so to speak, when it comes to playing his cards. Like the guy is, he has a really finely tuned nose for risk, but I don't know if he can take, if that nose for risk is going to serve him well against the All Blacks. Andy, what do you, do you think I'm overstating that or do you think it'll revert more to South African type and, and try and play a more conservative game in a final, like almost a well semi-final from 2019. Um, I, I, I don't know how much variety South Africa have, to be quite honest. Like, I mean, uh, not that they're wholly one-dimensional, but their their game is very much predicated on very good set piece, very good defense. Uh, it's a breaking happens. ball. Yeah, they've 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 quick wingers, but um, like I'd expect New Zealand to try to play to try to put the ball into the South African half, and I think, um, look, I I I think you have to say this like the South African bench and the South African twenty three is the most interesting, but I I wouldn't look over overlook the All Blacks like. If I was a Kiwi, I'd want to see Roy Gard on the bench rather than Christie. Uh, 200%. I was, Could, I was, cannot I was agree with quite, that more. I was quite impressed with uh, Christie when he came on against Argentina, but like it was nothing at that point. Like you know, New Zealand played with 14 men and were, were quite comfortable finishing with 14 men. When May as well have been playing against Namibia. Yeah, like when Roy Gard played against um, South Africa in London, he was class. He was... and. Like he's an absolute handful. He's he's a game changer. Um, again, if, if if I was a Kiwi, I wouldn't want to see Christie come on at the at the end of a tight match. And I think I will. Wouldn't be, want to see I'd, him come on at any time. I'd rather see Royguard. Yeah, and I like I, I don't think Aaron Smith is going to make eighty minutes uh, at thirty four years of age. Just given the amount of mileage that he has to cover, like I I could be wrong, but. I think they'll want fresh legs um, in the last I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of that match. And I, I'd far rather see Roygaard on the pitch. Ian? Oh, I um, I don't want to shit on anyone, but like, I don't 
rate your man Christie at all. And I would consider him to be a weakness in the All Black team if he comes on the pitch. Uh, like he's obviously a fucking really good rugby player in the general sense, but um, I definitely could imagine he's the kind of player that the box would target by putting pressure on him at the back of scrums and 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 malls or scrums and and malls and and rooks. Um, uh, I I think the the Kiwi still think in terms of um not taking off their halfbacks unless they really have to. Um, Which I agree with. Uh, I mean, I I remember watching one of the one of the Kiwi sort of shows on on YouTube during the tournament, and they just couldn't understand why we kept on taking off Johnny Sexton. <laughs> I was going like, he's ancient. <laughs> we told him to break, <laughs> <laughs> but they just go like, what? What do they keep on to? Why do they keep on bringing on this Crowley guy? <laughs> it's like, so um, I you know I think that they they would happily uh, play Aaron Smith and. Um, Moonga, or maybe they would, you know, they'd switch in someone who could, else who can play ten. They like might switch Bowden into ten or something like that if they are making the change. Um, I wonder also about the final. Uh, supposedly, it's predicted for rain again, uh, so similar conditions to the semi-final that South Africa played, and how much that might impact um, how the game goes. And thinking back in particular to semi the semi-final in. 2015 between New Zealand and South Africa, which I think was played in heavy rain. And that's a game that you frequently reference, Andy, about the All Blacks going into the kind of like into the attritional kicking the ball, playing the game in territory rather than in, in the ball in hand. I, I don't think it's going to rain. I think it's going to be just looking at the weather forecast here. I think it's going to be certainly dry at seven, eight o'clock and I don't think they're going to get rain in Paris and it's not going to be relatively heavy until about midnight or, or, or one o'clock. So I don't, I don't think, I think the conditions are going to favor New Zealand. I think where it to be wet, um, it'd be more difficult for New Zealand to attack with the ball in hand. But I think that there's going to be more opportunities basically for the, for the Kiwis to play in a few different ways. And I think the other, um, like, you know, we talked about the, the unevenness of the draw. South Africa have had two almighty battles in the last two weeks. And, you know, Razzie was kind of throwing a bit of shade on Ireland, looking at the, the amount of minutes that his players have played. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, does We beat matter? you, lads. Like, you know, guys have a, well, you know, that allowed, that, that as well. But like, Ireland are out of the competition. But I mean, if you look at the, the gap week that most, pretty much all the big teams had and the fact that Ireland took off a lot of their, you know, took off, what, seven players on about 50 minutes or in around 50 minutes against Scotland. I don't know how relevant that was, but if you're going final pool match and none of the teams had a really big final pool match, but then if you're going quarter semi final, um, like it's almost a separate tournament. Those, those last three knockout matches, particularly if you've got a duo of matches against France and against England, like South Africa have had. So I, I'd be curious how much gas South Africa have left in the tank. I, I expect points. the TVs to be fresher. Yeah, and I agree with you. Um, when we go back, just Ian, to return to your earlier statements about taking off your your halfbacks, like it's, I, I totally agree that Irish people have got used to the idea of taking off Johnny Sexton because for the last four years, he's been pretty much the oldest player in the pitch for every game and it's always been saving for the next game 
save him for the next game. Uh, there's no need to, like, your out half is a player who, yeah, gets on the ball a lot. He shouldn't go into many rooks. He's not involved in any scrums or lineouts. He's a lightly used player. You don't need to take off your out half. Your scrum half does cover a lot of ground, so there might be legs run out of him. But it's a position where you expect there to be legs run out of your player. And you're always going to have a scrum half on the bench. So, you know, the 21 is a is a useful substitution in every circumstance. The 22 doesn't have to be used. A lot of the time you can just go, and Andrew, this goes back to your earlier comments about Pollard. Unless, you're, unless your 10 is having a mare or is really there's an issue with injury or uh, under like under preparedness your 22 can stay on he can stay on the bench and uh, we've got used to the idea that someone has to come on and replace Johnny Saxon even going back to our quarterfinal would Jack Crowley have made a difference and I know we covered this previously but I've been thinking about it more in the past and gone the likelihood is that Jack Crowley would have made a big mistake you're talking about Ireland's probably greatest ever player one of our top two players ever been on the pitch at the end of a game and a guy who's played you know 11 games for Munster as a starting 10 and expecting him to expect him to do some wizardry in a World Cup quarterfinal against New Zealand which is in my opinion pie in the sky stuff so the 10 the key position whether it's Mawonga or Pollard or Libok um, I would expect those players. Uh, well, if it's not not Libok, but if it's if it's Pollard to start and Moonga to start, I expect them to stay on the pitch for a long time. I I think this match is absolutely made for the Kiwis to go six two. Like, Do you think so? Absolutely. Like I mean, I I don't see why you'd want to take off any of your backs in New Zealand. And so just Damien take, McKenzie on the bench. Yeah, just have Damien McKenzie and Roygaard on the bench and go, look, Roygaard is going to give you a pop. Damien McKenzie can go on forever. And like, it, it almost doesn't matter if he goes in 10 or if Bodie goes in 10 and McKenzie goes to fullback or Bodie stays Winger. at fullback. Yeah. And you can or put anything. him on at the wing. But like, wh- why would you want to take off either of your wings or either of your centres? Like, those two centres are going to stay in the pitch for as long as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on uh, Will Jordan. Will Jordan. Jordan. Jordan's name. The best like, winger in the world. You, you, you keep those two guys on the pitch as long as you possibly could. Um, Agreed. Rico. And then on the you want to you want to go um, with as much against the. You want to go as much against. Like you're going to have three front row subs, no doubt. Um, he's going to go with Scott Barrett. Uh, plus one, so I think you. It's tough to know. Like, I mean, he's going to pick two of Whitelock, Barrett, and Retallick, which leaves him with, you know, two more forwards. And yeah, um, he likes Dalton Papali'i. Yeah, he like yeah he likes Dalton Papali'i, and you know, I think Sam Kane is going to go to the well, and then it's just a question of you know who else do you, you know, who else do you throw in there. Yeah, um, you make a great point because I'm I, like now that you've said it, I hadn't thought of it before. But like Roygaard and like I don't want Anton Leonard Brown coming on in a, in a World Cup final. Anton Leonard Brown is not a good player. Like 
certainly not for an All Black in in a in a World Cup final. He might be he might be good or he might not. But like I mean, is he? He's no, not he's not good. Ioanni or Jordy Barrett. Like you want those two guys on the pitch all the way through. And you know your first sub as a back outside back, unless you've got an injury to Aaron Smith. Bring on Rory. Being frank here, really don't. You're cu- you're cutting up there again. I don't know if you've changed location in the. We just lost that last sentence, but um, see, it's not a player I'd, I'd want to bring early or late. And Anton Leonard Brown is. No, no. <laughs> okay, well, drops. You just dropped out a little bit again. We'll, we'll we'll wind it up here, and um, let me just ask you ultimately uh, who you think will win on Saturday night in Paris. I think New Zealand will win. I think the other thing that's quite surprising is this is the first New Zealand South Africa match final since nineteen ninety five. Uh, it's the Correct. first of the professional yes. era. It's which is which is pretty surprising, really. It is. I I agree that I think, I think the way things have come about, the Kiwis are fresher and in better form, and uh, I think the Ireland win really really put the wind in their sails, and I think they'll claim the, the title on Saturday night. Hugo. Yeah, for me, New Zealand to win. 